When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome into a very special episode of Flippin' Bass. Today we have one of the greatest baseball players of all time, the captain of the New York Yankees, number two, Derek Jeter. I am so excited about this episode and some of the conversations we're about to have about his career and playing against Big Poppy and now working together here at Fox and analytics in the game of baseball and being one of the most clutch players in baseball history in October and how he is able to do that and how he can explain to people having downtime between series. In 1996, the Yankees had seven days off before the World Series, and now we're seeing buys be a big part of baseball and people questioning whether or not that is a good thing. Derek Jeter is going to talk all about that, and make sure you stick around for the end of this because we talk about the iconic flip, the play against the Oakland A's where he comes running across the infield, flips the ball to home plate to get the runner out, and lastly, have to ask him about the almost unanimous Hall of Fame vote and what he would say to the person if he knew who did it and what he thinks he did to to not be a unanimous Hall of Famer. So this one is going to be a really special conversation and one of the greatest to ever do it. So without further ado, let's welcome in the captain, Derek Jeter. Fly ball, onto the track, at the wall, it's gone! Home run! Turns on a ball, deep right field, and gone! What a game, what a moment. Here with Derek Jeter. Derek, thank you so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. And I want to start with, you're now a teammate of ours here at Fox, and one guy you are teammates with was a heated rival for so many years, right? Big Poppy, the Yankees, the Red Sox, and kind of somewhat complete opposite personalities in many ways. And you're like this odd couple now coexisting on TV together. (laughs) How has it been working with Poppy? I hated David Ortiz. I really (laughs) did. No, um, I didn't know David well because I think I don't ever want to be the back in the day guy. Right. But back in the day (laughs) when we were playing against people, it wasn't like I was trying to go out to dinner with everyone. We were trying to beat you. So I was always, we were always respectful. We'd have interaction on the basis, but I really didn't know him well. Um, but I tell you what, his personality is exactly what you see is exactly who he is. And uh, I've enjoyed getting to know him a little bit better over the last few months. It feels like that like loose personality he used to his advantage. I've heard you talk about before how before games, Poppy would go up to the Dominican pitchers on the team and just kind of chop it up with them, try and loosen them up in hopes that... They wouldn't pitch him inside and he could get on top of the plate and kind of do damage against him. A, is that true? And B, do you think that actually worked in his favor? hundred percent true. David Ortiz never got pitched inside, especially by us. He was friendly with all the pitchers, (laughs) you know, during pregame stretch, he'd be over there in the middle and it used to irritate me so much, especially considering how much we got hit. We used to get hit all the time and uh, we never pitched David inside. So, I think that's a big reason why he's in the Hall of Fame because of the friendships he had. 
What do you What do you think he's saying to guys when he's walking over? To, is he just being oh, friendly, me, you, no, knowing no, knowing no, it would work in his favor? Let me take you to dinner. You know <laughs> what I mean. Let me help out the family. Send some money to help him out. You know whatever it took in order for them not to throw him inside. <laughs> One thing about you and Poppy both is you're both so, so clutch. Two of the most clutch players to ever play the game. And one thing I think is kind of taking over the game right now is analytics. But what analytics can't dive into is how clutch somebody is. Um, And you guys were able to do it under the utmost pressure in October. How were you and guys like Poppy able to separate yourself from everyone else when things got the hardest in the game? Ah, uh, man, I, I don't, I grew up in the postseason. You know, I played my first postseason game my rookie year and was basically in the playoffs at all times. Um, you have to have fun. You have to enjoy those moments. I think you have to be prepared. I think that's what helps slow the game down for you. But um, you have to be put in those situations. And then once you have some level of success, I think you just always look back on those moments. I remember... I played high school basketball. I hit a three-point game-winning three-point shot. So anytime I played basketball after that, I'd always go back to that memory. Yeah, and I missed so many shots. It's it's we don't even need to talk about it. But my mind would go back to the times I had success, and and I just think it's it's, it's enjoying those moments, not shying away from those moments, and not being afraid to fail. Because you know, baseball is a sport where you're going to fail more than you succeed. Can you prepare for those moments? I don't necessarily know if you can prepare for those particular moments, but um, the biggest, my biggest fear in life is being unprepared. You know, you hear athletes say game speeds up or it slows down. I think it slows down when you're prepared for it. I'm pretty sure if you do an interviews, you're talking to people, you know, nothing about them. You're going to be like, Oh my God, what do I say next? But if you prepare yourself for it, it's fun. You know what you're going to say, you know what you're going to do. So I just always tried to be as prepared as I possibly could. So you, you mentioned that three-point shot you hit and you go back to that in your mind, right? Is that what you're doing over time in, in your baseball career? You come up as a, a young kid and you're in the postseason, you have success. And as your career goes on, you have more and more success in the playoffs. You just use those moments to go back to and remember the successes as you move on in your career. No question. I was telling this story on air yesterday. Um, Reggie Jackson, one time I saw him right before the playoffs had started and he said, you know, during his career, when it got close to October, the weather started to change and everyone used to say, Mr. October's coming, Mr. October's coming. So he started to believe it, you know, no matter how he felt, how he was playing at the time, he started yeah. to believe that he was Mr. October and that helped him with his success. So I think you have that belief and it gets you through a lot of situations. What that, that's in, incredible. Reggie Jackson is awesome, by the way. I, I love that guy. He's, <laughs> you need he's, to have him. You have him on yet? I've I've talked to him a few times. I haven't had him on here, but I I need to talk to Reggie about some Reggie. And Reggie will talk oh, about Reggie some will Reggie. talk about Reggie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, what are what are your thoughts on the usage of analytics in baseball now? I think, from my personal opinion. I think we see it work over the course of 162, right? We see it with the Rays. But when it gets to postseason time, it almost feels like, one, the game of baseball is different in October, right? The game just changes. And it feels like these teams want to count so much on analytics instead of just going with the feel of a situation or understanding that a player might be locked in or super clutch. What are your thoughts on the usage of analytics in baseball in the postseason right now? 
Uh, it's too much. It's too much. You know, Mr. Tori used to always say, players have heartbeats. There's no analytical formula for heartbeats. You know, you have to understand what players shine in big moments, when players are nervous. Like the postseason is completely different. Yeah. There's a different set of pressures there. And you can see on a lot of players' faces whether or not they're overwhelmed. You can see confidence. And you can have a game plan going into it, but sometimes things change. You know, if someone is, yeah. is performing well, keep them out there. Even though the game plan says I'm going to take them out with a particular pitch count or so many th times through the order, you know, who cares? You got to go yeah. with your feel. And I think the sport is losing some of that, but then I think also some of the most successful teams, even in the postseason, sort of a hybrid of the two, especially yeah. with the old school managers, whether it's Dusty or Bruce Bochy. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of, of um, managers there that, that uh, really know how to use the information, but also have a feel for the game. Do you have a story about how Joe Torre managing in October and every analytical number or piece of paper would have said he shouldn't do this, but Joe Torre did it and it ended up working. Mr. T, he rode his starters. You know what I mean? He'd go on feel. We'd have guys out there six, seven, eight innings sometimes, you know? Um, he'd go out to the mound, he'd look pitchers in their eyes and he'd ask them how they feel. Be honest with me. Tell me how you feel. And depending on the response, he'd keep them in or he'd take them out. But he'd leave it up to the players a lot of time. He built a lot of trust throughout the years, throughout the course of a, of a season. And, uh, you know, he trusted his players. Yeah. You're out there at the as a shortstop. You come in for those meetings. Are there any pitchers that are actually like, nah, I'm not good? Or was he just trying to read their eyes and read their how they actually felt inside? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, some guys can say, you know, I'm a little tired. That's all I got. Other guys will try to lie to you even when they're not feeling good. Yeah. And you appreciate that as well. But um, you get to know people when you spend six months with them before the playoffs start. So it's like a little bit of, you, you talk about the difference between old school managers and new school. And I know Rocco Baldelli is a bit of a younger guy, but we kind of saw a situation recently. Carlos Correa hasn't hit in the four hole in a long time for the twins, but the calendar turns to October Rocco Baldelli puts him right back in there in the four hole. And that kind of feels like one of the situations, right? You're just going off of feel and knowing a guy and his character when the calendar turns to October. You know, in the player, you know, in the history, you know, players that like big moments. Um, you understand your lineup, all 25, 26 guys, 28. I don't even know what it is now, but you know, all of your players. And, and sometimes you make adjustments yeah. from series to series. Uh, it's not always, um, Sometimes game to game, forget series to series, it's game yeah. to game. And you should know that as a manager because you're around the guys. One thing that's becoming super pertinent in baseball today is the buy, right? The buy that teams are having. And this is a new thing, but you know, it's we've seen it a lot in baseball teams having downtime. In 96, you guys had seven days off from the ALCS to the World Series. And guess what happened in game one of the World Series? You guys lose big time to the Braves. I think it was 12 to 1 was the final score. What are teams going to have to do and how do you deal with that downtime? Baseball's 162 over with a few off days mixed in there. You're playing every single day. When the calendar turns to October and you're getting five to seven days off if you're the higher seed, how do you deal with that? I don't know. That's the best way to put it. You know, I don't know because, you know, you have the, the buys and... Um, Look, it, it's beneficial to have the days off for your pitching staff. Yeah. But it hurts you offensively, right. you know, so it's sort of a double-edged sword. I don't know what you can do. I mean, you have games, you have 
games are televised. Um, but yeah, as, as a baseball player, especially offensively, you play every day for a reason. I never like to have days off. You know, you go to the all-star break. Sometimes you have three, four days off, your timing's off. Now yeah. you're having four or five days off and it's the biggest games of the year. So I, I, I really, you know, I don't have an answer for it because I don't really think there's much you can do. As one of the greatest clutch hitters the game of, has seen, how would you, Derek, explain to the fan listening at home when how, what the difference is when you're stepping in the box day after day and then when you're having seven days off, what is the difference with, with timing and everything going on? Yeah, it's timing. You got to get used to velocity. You know, you can have simulated games. I've, I mentioned this the first day we were on air. I said, you can have simulated games. Simulated games are not the same. You know, you're yep. facing your own pitchers. Nobody's going to throw you up and in. You know what pitches are coming because you don't want to get injured before the postseason yep. starts. So uh, it's all timing. You know, it's, it's like, you, especially nowadays with how hard these guys throw. I mean, you have a few days off. It's, it's tough to adjust and it takes you a little while to adjust. Yeah. In your career, obviously a lot of postseason games, you faced 22 pitchers in the postseason that went on to be in the Hall of Fame, which is a remarkable number. Of those pitchers, who was the toughest you faced? Oh, man, the toughest pitcher I've ever... Toughest pitcher on me was Roy Halladay. Oh. Yeah, I just couldn't... I couldn't... I just couldn't figure him out, man. I mean, the best pitcher I ever faced was Pedro. I mean, Pedro Martinez probably had the best stuff all around. He had the best fastball, best curveball, best slider, best changeup. But I liked facing Pedro. Uh, Halladay, I just... I, I. I couldn't figure him out. What was it about? What was it about Roy? Was it the the cutter? Like what? What made him? Both so it was tough a for sinker, a two seamer, a cutter. It's like every time I thought it was going one way, it went the other. Yeah. And we faced him a lot because he was in Toronto, so he always seemed to get us every series. And and I'm sure I'm not the only one that had problems with Roy Halladay. Yeah. Career two thirty four off of him. You hit three thirty three off of Pedro in the postseason, by the way. So you, oh, just you so you got yeah, remind there. people of that, please. By, by the way, I have I have John Smoltz on on the show every single Saturday. Smoltz comes on okay. and he tells a bunch of stories. I need a good uh, John Smoltz story from you, whether it's facing John him Smoltz, or what. You know, Smoltz for us, he was the toughest matchup for us. You know, we faced him in ninety six. I don't think he pitched till game four. I believe three or four. Mm-hmm. And then same thing in 99. And we thought, my God, this guy's the toughest match because he threw hard, yeah. you know, and he's pitching that late in the series. We liked our chances. Uh, but Smoltz was, for me personally, he was the toughest one to face in that Braves rotation. Uh, Roger Clemens, obviously, teammate of yours, played against him as well. But I've heard you say before, he's the kind of guy that at an all-star game, he ain't going to become friends with, no. with the players in that no. locker room. He would not talk to to the hitters on the team. Is that true? Yeah, very true. You know, he didn't want to interact with the hitters because I think he wanted that intimidation factor and it worked. You know, Rocket's a big boy. I don't know if you've had him on, but Roger Clemens is a big boy. And I remember I used to get hit all the time. I joked with him when he came over to New York, but he hit me all the time. And I remember a friend saying, you should charge the mound. I'm like, man, (laughs) you know how big Roger Clemens is? So I'm not charging Roger Clemens, but he was not trying to be friendly. Did you ever, did you ever charge the mound? I didn't. No. Do you regret never charging the mound? I don't because, you know, in <laughs> baseball, you're, you're at a disadvantage. You have the catcher behind you, pitcher in front of you, and four infielders on yeah. top of you before you get help. So it wouldn't make sense. Speaking of all-time greats, uh, it's a guy currently playing that I want to ask you about, Shohei Otani. 
What are your thoughts? As a guy, again, one of the most clutch players in baseball, Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it offensively, to see what Shohei is doing offensively and then to see him go out there on the mound. What's it like watching him? Um, he's a unicorn. You know, it's, it's tough enough to just be a great hitter or offensive player or to be a great pitcher. You know, for him to be able to do both is, is pretty remarkable. Um, I just, I don't really, I can't, I can't relate to it. You know what I mean? I I really can't relate to it. You run out of adjectives to describe him. Um, it's fun to watch. You know, unfortunately he got injured. Hopefully he can come back and continue to do both. But there's a reason why starting pitchers get four days off. I mean, you ask your brother, you know, you got to rest your body. You got to get ready for the next start. Here he is. He, you know, he throws one hit shutouts in the first game and then comes back in two home runs two in the second game of a doubleheader. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's unheard of. Do you think it's sustainable? Well, it's an easy question to answer now. You see that he's hurt. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, I hope so from a fan's perspective. I yeah. hope so just to watch it. Uh, Derek, I want to talk about um, one of the most famous postseason moments defensively that, that people love to talk about the flip against the A's. Um, You come charging across the infield, obviously flip the ball home. You can see it here. If you're watching, you can see it in the wall. Um, My question has always been, what were you doing there in that situation? I was supposed to be there. Like I've I've told people that's where I was supposed to be. I'm not supposed to flip it home, right? But I'm the third cutoff (laughs) man. So if you see there, I'm the third cutoff man. So if the runners are going to score, I just redirect the throw to get the runner going to third base. Okay. So the play is never, it, you've no, never done never, it. You've never seen it to get it and oh, flip it home. The alignment, I was supposed to be in the okay. neighborhood for the alignment, but not to, not to throw it home. So we've seen a couple of plays this postseason, I think, of uh, similar sort of situations of infielders having heads up plays here. One of them being Carlos Correa and one of them being, in my opinion, Austin Riley uh, in that in that game two against the, the Phillies where he was over there and cut the ball off and threw Harper out at first. Did Do you see any similarities with those two plays between Correa and Austin Riley and your play? Uh, I mean, they're all different, but I think the, the key is, you know, you always have to be aware of, what's going on. Yeah. You know, you have to be aware of the situation in this particular, I, you know, Austin Riley saw where Bryce was yeah. and he was, he was moving. You got to keep moving and he's pointing at first, you see him there. And then obviously sort of like the flip, you know, missed two of the cutoff men yeah. and then he's right there and redirects the throw. So it's a heads up play by him. Derek, I got one question for you before you go. You are a 14 time all-star five time silver slugger. Uh, five-time World Series champion. You are the captain of the New York Yankees. So the one question I have for you is, what do you think you did wrong to not be a unanimous Hall of Famer? (laughs) Uh, um, I think I did a lot of things right. I don't care about the, uh, you know, the thing is, is people always ask me, let me start with this. The media expects athletes to be accountable. Yeah. Whether you have a good game or you have a bad game, you stand in front of your locker and you answer questions. I think the athletes deserve the same thing. Yep. And I never thought or never would sit here and say everyone should have voted for me. No, everyone didn't vote for Hank Aaron or Babe Ruth. You know, I would never say that. But I get tired of answering the question 
when that question should be answered by the particular yeah. person. And that's how I look at it. But once again, make sure everyone understands, I'm not saying that everyone should have voted for me, but they should answer, him or her should answer that question. I shouldn't have to answer Do it. you know, or do you ever think you will know who, who did it? I vote? don't. I don't know. No idea. And uh, at this point, I don't think I'll find out. If you, if you could find out and ask that person any question in the world, what would you ask him? I wouldn't ask him anything. I'd just redirect all the questions I get <laughs> to him or her. I wouldn't ask any questions. <laughs> Derek, I agree completely. Uh, they should have to be accountable as well. The athletes are. They should as well. Derek, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much of course, for joining thanks me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. I just wanted to thank Derek Jeter again for joining me. That was awesome. And I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. Hearing him talk about facing Pedro Martinez and how tough it was to hit Roy Halladay and why it's so hard to hit after a long down period. The stories of Joe Torre involved, the story of um, the unanimous Hall of Fame vote and, and what he would say. I just, I really enjoyed that conversation. Uh, such a special episode here and such an awesome guest to have on Flipping Bats and pumped to have him now part of the Fox Sports family on the MLB on Fox team. Uh, really, really cool. So I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Derek Jeter. I know I enjoyed talking to him. So thank you all for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever we're also on all social media including youtube where you can watch every single thing we do at flipping bats pod for all of them but that does it for this special episode featuring the captain for the new york yankees Derek jeter until next time my friends peace